quite that long ago, but some of those old hymns are precious, aren't they? They're precious. You know, there's a, a saying that I wanted to, uh, I, that's just been on my uh, heart, and as soon as I get my iPhone back together here. What I want to share about today is something that's on that back bulletin board. Who knows what it says back there? Follow with purpose. I want to talk today about following Jesus with purpose today. And uh, the little saying that I had read, it's actually from, it was turned into a hymn years ago, and one of the lines says, I'd rather walk in the dark with God than go alone without him. How many would say amen with that, right? To follow the Lord. Can we put the first scripture up there from Mark? And in view of what we've been doing on Wednesday nights with the Lenten services and considering the things that have been spoken. I've appreciated some of these meetings we had. A couple weeks ago, we were, uh, Pastor Rod was sharing about Pontius Pilate. I learned some new things about that character. How many were there? Yeah. Isn't it good? I mean, there's, the Word of God is so rich. It's like you can just keep on digging in it, and there's more, isn't there? That's the way the Word of God is. This I want to take as kind of a, a theme scripture here in Mark chapter 10, uh, yeah, Mark chapter, actually that's the wrong verse, I think. It's supposed to be Mark chapter 10. Let me just double check that because I don't want to mislead you. Yeah, it's actually Mark 10. The scriptures, it's the right verse that's up there, David. It's just the, the reference I wrote down wrong. Okay, but it's Mark 10 verse 32, and this is what it says. And they were in the way, why don't you read it with me? I like to do that, reading out loud stuff. Let's do that. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem... And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed and they fo- as they followed, and they were afraid. And then he took again the twelve and began to tell them the things that should happen unto him. What I want to look at today is some of the experiences the disciples had in following Jesus. And it's an interesting scripture here telling us that as they were following, they, they were amazed. They, they, they weren't just even amazed, they were actually afraid following Jesus. Now, they weren't afraid of Jesus, but the things they had gone through were very interesting. They had been through a number of experiences. You know, that original call that Jesus made to them was just two words. Who remembers what it was? What did Jesus do to call those disciples? All he had to say was what? Follow me. He didn't have to give them a resume or an application to fill out. Uh, He didn't uh, give them any explanations at all. He just walked by them and said, follow me. How many know there's power in the word of God like that? There's power in the word. All it takes is one word to turn our whole life around. Can you say amen to that? You know, today, if you're here, just... From the very beginning, I want to share with you, if there are any situations you're going through, or maybe you yet haven't decided to follow the Lord, I want you just to open up your heart, open up your ears today, and let the Word of God come in. Because when that Word comes in, you have to understand something about God's Word. It's not just informational. Can you say amen to that? The Bible, this blessed book, how many brought your Bibles with you? Or your iPhones or whatever it is. There you go. He's got the iPhone back there. This is not just an informational book. It's not just a book to study history. It's not any of that. It's a living book. And it speaks to us. 
In Proverbs, there's a beautiful scripture in verse 6. It says that uh, uh, Solomon, it says there, uh, take my words, let them be like a chain around your neck. And when you walk, it'll lead you. When you lie down, it will keep you. And when you wake up, it will speak to you. This is the only book I know that actually does the talking for you. Can you say amen? It's alive. It's living. And just taking time in it is everything. And those disciples that heard Jesus say, follow me, they began following. Actually, those words Jesus used throughout the Gospels about 20 different times, he says, follow me. If any man will serve me, let him, say it with me, follow me. Following Jesus. There was a time that as Jesus was speaking, he actually had more than 12 so-called disciples. There were the 12 that he, that he had named, but there were actually others that were following him. And at one point in time, Jesus was saying things like, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the people are listening to him and they're scratching their heads and they're saying, finally they look at each other. And these were the disciples, it says, that, that, that they looked at each other and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And it says that many of those disciples turned away and stopped following. Then Jesus looked to the 12 and he said, you want to go too? He didn't start a campaign to get more people in church, did he? He said, hey, you want to go too? And what did Peter say? Lord, remember his words? Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You know, there's something, okay. I'm not going to do all this crying stuff. I get touched. I get blessed by the word. Sometimes it just comes on me. I'm not even sure why. <laughs> anyway, the, the word of God has power. It transformed the disciples' lives. But I want to show you that this following stuff they went through, one of the things you'll see, and I, I want to, if you will, just look with me um, just for a reference one of the things that happens in a disciple's life is that the things they have to go through sometimes have to be doubled because they don't get it the first time. How many, are you, how many have to hear something twice sometimes? My wife oftentimes tells me, I already told you that, right? I say, well, you know, I'm a disciple. I have to hear it again. <laughs> this, if you just look in John 9, I'm not going to read the verse right now, but there was a, there was a man who was blind from birth and the whole story there, Jesus, of course, heals him, and the Pharisees bring him in and said, who is this? That, you know, are you really the blind man? He goes, of course I am. Once I was blind, now I see. That's where that comes from. They brought his parents in, and they asked the parents, and the parents were afraid because they didn't want to be excommunicated from the, from the, uh, from the, the, the synagogue there. And so they said, well, you know, ask our son. He can, he can talk for himself. And, and then uh, they bring the guy back in. They go, are you really the man that healed you? What do you say about this, Jesus? What is this all about? And this man looked right at him. I love the way he talked to him. He looked right at those Pharisees and leaders, and he said, I've already told you once. Now I'm telling you the second time. Imagine, he's talking to these religious leaders. I've told you once. Now I'm telling you the second time. Do you want to be his disciples too? <laughs> I kind of use that to say that disciples want to hear things more than once. Even the Word of God, the messages. How many like to take notes during a message? 
Not, not everybody does. Nothing wrong with that. Some people are just, they're more visual. Other people, I, I'm a chronic note taker. I'm a scribe down to the very core. I write so many, I write more notes than what the pastor's preaching sometimes, you know. But I, I like, I like to, to go back over these things because there's value in that. Especially what God speaks here. How many were blessed by the message last week? How many remember what the message was last week? I'm not going to ask that. You know, we're, we, it is true. Sometimes if we're not taking the word and finding a way to make it work, instead of being effectual doers, we can become forgetful hearers. Because we've got to take that word and we've got to begin find a way to apply it, Lord. How does that work? Even if we just take it in prayer, Lord, I'm going to pray those words over my family, over, my, over the church, over my brother, over my employer. I'm going to pray those things and take that word and make it work. A disciple wants to know. One of the things that happened when Jesus was telling the parables, that it was interesting, as he was speaking parables to the multitudes, the disciples talked to him privately and they said, Jesus, why do you talk to them in parables? And in so many words, he said, so that they won't understand. That's interesting, isn't it? So they won't understand. But Jesus said, blessed are your eyes and your ears because it's been given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. One of the reasons it was given unto them is because they were there and they wanted to know what it meant. I'm going to understand how important that is. You know, one sign of legalism is that we just hear things and we rotely do them. We hear stuff and we just take it for granted and we just rotely do it. We do it by rote. We're in a rut. We do things by rote. And in the new covenant, it's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just doing things because we have to do them. And a desire to want to know a desire to want to study the Word. A desire when we hear something being preached, hey, I want to know. We study the Scriptures. I want to find out why is that true? How does that work? The disciples were there and they said, Jesus, what does that parable mean? We can't figure it out. We kind of have the feeling you don't want us to go out and plant seeds right now. We kind of got that, Lord. We kind of understand that you're not teaching us how to bake bread. What was that parable about? Tell us, Jesus. It says, when Jesus was alone, the disciples went to him and asked. And then it says, when the disciples were alone, Jesus went to them and told them. How many want that kind of relationship with the Lord? Learning to hear. Learning to hear. And this is something that began in a disciple's life. But there are experiences that they had to go through more than two times. And still, maybe they didn't quite get it. And Mark chapter, Mark chapter 4 we read about an experience where the disciples are told to get into a boat. And Jesus' words to them, I don't have this on the overhead here, but Jesus' words to them in Mark chapter 4 was verse 35. Actually, this is the same chapter where it says when the disciples were alone, Jesus told them what the parables were all about. That's verse 34. But verse 35, it says, In the same day when the evening was come, Jesus said unto them, let us pass over to the other side. So what was the commandment? To go to the other side, right? That's what they were supposed to do. And when they had sent away the multitude, uh, they, and they got in the boats, verse 37, and there arose a great storm of the wind, 
and the waves beat into the ship so that it was, anybody have it in your Bible? What, is it? what happened to that boat? It was what? It was now full. Anybody have an idea which direction the boat goes when it's now full? It doesn't go to the other side, does it? And so these disciples, of course, they're frantically, I mean, you've seen some of the videos they do on this. Is, it's one of my favorite stories. They're frantically trying to get water out of the boat, and the rain is coming, and the waves are beating. And guess where Jesus is at? Mark gives us a little bit more insight than the other Gospels do on this one. I love, I love reading through Mark and finding his, that, 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 that direction or the perspective that God uh, inspired him to write. It says here that he, Jesus was, a, he was in the hinder part of the boat. He was what? Sleeping. And not just sleeping, but where was he sleeping at? He was sleeping on a pillow. How wet do you think that pillow was? And the disciples were saying, Master, and this is what came out of their heart, Master, we're going to perish. The Lord allowed them to go through that experience. Just like when you put a tea bag, you know what flavor it is only after you add the hot water, isn't it so? And in that situation, what was inside came out. They said, Lord, what is this? We're perishing. Don't you care, it says in one of the Gospels. Don't you care that we're dying? You don't care about me, Lord. You're allowing me to go through this situation. It's horrible. And there you are. You're just sleeping on a pillow in the back of the boat. Lord, don't you care? Well, he got up, but before he rebuked the wind and the waves, he rebuked the disciples too. And he said, oh, you have little faith. When the Lord says, let's go to the other side, guess what? We're going to go to the other side. How many can say amen? But you know, this wasn't the first time they were in a boat. And in Mark chapter 6, this is another situation, and it's interesting here that as they get, Jesus tells them to get in the boat, one of the Gospels actually says he had to constrain them to get in the boat. It's like, Lord, no, not the boat again. We, we did that last time. It didn't work too well, Lord. He had to constrain them to get in the boat, and this time he says, okay, in the boat, and I'll see you later. And he went off to a mountaintop to pray. He left him in the boat alone and told him to get to the other side. Disciples need to go through two experiences. They need to have their experiences doubled sometimes. Or maybe anybody maybe need a triple experience? Third or fourth, fifth? Well, there they are in the boat by themselves. Same situation. Storm arises. This time Jesus is not even sleeping in the boat. He's off someplace else. And they're crying out, not knowing what to do. And guess what happens? Here comes Jesus walking on the water. Now, Mark tells us something interesting here. I want you to see this in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, oh, I'll find my place here. It says, verse 48, that Jesus came to them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and I want you to tell me what that next part of the verse says in your Bible. He came walking to them upon the sea, and what's your Bible say? What? Is that what your Bible says? He's going to walk right past them? Come on, that doesn't sound like a loving God to me. Is that really what your Bible says? He's going to walk right past them? What, what's going on here? Well, the disciples, of course, saw him, and they didn't even know what to think. They said, this can't, this can't be a, a person. It's got to be a ghost. They go, ah, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And they were afraid and scared. And, well, there's Peter. Peter had an idea. He says, no, Lord. He says, I'm going to step out here. Lord, if it's you. Look at the doubt that was in his voice. 
but faith also there. He says, if it's you, just command me to come. Jesus said what? Come. And what did Peter begin doing? Walking on the water. They won't find it there in, in Mark. You'll find it in Matthew. Matthew tells us of Jesus walking on, or Peter walking on the water. But as Peter's walking on the water, how many would have loved to have been there to watch that? Would you have rather been the one in the boat or the one walking on the water? Which, what's your choice on this one? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't know. I, I, I think both ways sometimes, you know. I, but I think I would have rather been out there on the water. But here's, here's Peter, and he's walking on the water. I think, you know, Peter was this kind of a character that whenever he was doing something well, he wanted everybody else to know about it. He wanted everyone else around to say, and I kind of think that when he was eyes upon Jesus and walking on the water, all of a sudden he began looking back at the disciples and getting a, he's getting a grin on his face. He goes, oh, hey guys, look at me. I'm walking on the water here. But he took his eyes off of somebody else more important. That was Jesus. And what happened to Peter? And what did Jesus do? Picked him up. How many thank God for Jesus that picks us up in spite of it all, in spite of it all? But disciples go through doubled experiences like this. The Lord does strange things. It'd be nice if we could box him up, put a title on it, write down our 10 points, our thesis about him, and have it all figured out. Wouldn't it be nice? It just don't work like that. That's why when it says they followed Jesus, it says they were afraid and amazed. I want to show you something else, especially as we're moving towards Easter. Something that may not be so apparent in the Scriptures. It is in a way, but not. How many of you understand that Jesus told the disciples ahead of time, not only that he was going to die, but that he was going to rise up, and not only just that he was going to rise up from the dead, but three days later he was going to do that. How many know he told them that several times? Okay, so the real question, sometimes we don't allow ourselves to ask this, the real question is, if he told them when, after his crucifixion, why weren't they waiting there at the tomb after the, on the third day? Could be. I want to say, who said unbelief? Who's... Yeah, I think that's a part of it. And I think there's something else also that goes along. And I think it's because, and this is part of the training that disciples have to go through. Not everybody has to go through this. By the way, who can tell me another doubled experience the disciples had? They were in a boat twice. There was another experience that happened twice. Feeding the multitudes. Here's a good Sunday school quiz question. Did he feed the 5,000 first or the 4,000 first? <laughs> After which feeding did he take up 12 baskets? After which feeding did he take up the se uh, seven baskets? Yeah, actually he had more fish and more bread the second time, less people to feed and less fragments to take up. It's kind of an interesting story. But the first time it happened in John 6, it says, Jesus looked at Philip. I don't know specifically why Philip, but don't you feel like you're the one he's picking on all the time? Anybody ever felt like that? Like out of everybody here, the Lord says, okay, it's you. Okay, now I've got a question for you. How are we going to feed this multitude? He asked Philip that. How are we going to feed this multitude? And if you read there in John, it says, Jesus said this to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. <laughs> Don't you love it when God takes the time to test us? No? I didn't hear much on that one. <laughs> Job said it like this in Job 7. Job says, What is man, Lord, 
that you set your heart upon him and that you test him morning by morning. What is man? Why do you bother testing us? Why do you bother putting us in situations? I mean, just, you know, why do you do that, Lord? Well, not everybody can realize. And again, this is a message for disciples. But aren't we all supposed to be disciples and be making disciples? Disciples are the ones that need to be tested. Disciples need to allow the Word of God to come in and through them. And that cuts and hurts sometimes. But I want to show you something. I believe more than just, more than just unbelief, there was something else more fundamentary in the fact as to why the disciples didn't get it. I want to show you the three places where Jesus declares to his disciples what was going to happen to him. The first declaration, we're on the third right now. You, got, you skipped ahead. You're trying to speed up the message, right, David? Okay, that's okay. We'll make it fast as we can here. First declaration, read this with me. This is Mark chapter 8, and I have the other references in the bottom uh, just for those that are, that are scribes. If you're not a scribe, do not take notes, okay? Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he, that's Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, this was an interesting time and here in Mark chapter 8. Several things had already happened. First of all, Jesus had looked at his disciples and he said, Who do people say that I am? How do people see me? And the disciples say, Well, some say you're Elijah. Some think, think you're John the Baptist from the dead. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? I like to say that the Lord is asking you that question right now. Who do you say? Jesus is. And don't, not a, some kind of a doctrinal answer. Doctrine has its place. I love studying doctrine. But who do you say right now Jesus is to you? Well, in that moment, Peter had a revelation. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, that's when Jesus said, upon, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. And, all. and he said, I give the keys of the kingdom and so many things. He said, he said flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter. My Father in heaven. How many understand that there's more than one revelation of Jesus Christ? There is so much in him that we just need to keep getting our eyes open day by day by day. Can you say amen to that? There's so much. Every experience we go through is an opportunity for our eyes to be open to see more clearly. Something else had happened during that time and Right about that time, Jesus explained to him. Well, actually, just before that, after Peter had his revelation, then Jesus makes this declaration. He says, this is what's going to happen. You're following me. Let me tell you which direction I'm going. And who remembers what Peter did as soon as he heard that? What did Peter do? He goes, yeah, let's go, Lord, to the cross. No, he didn't do that. What did Jesus do? I'm sorry, what did Peter say? He said, Lord, may it never be. Don't talk that kind of stuff. No way. We're, you're going to be the coming king. You're the Messiah. You're the son of this death stuff and cross stuff. No, no, don't bother talking all that kind of stuff, Lord. And he rebuked Jesus. And then what did Jesus do? He rebuked Peter. <laughs> he said, you know what, Peter? He said, I get behind me, Satan, for you savorist, or you're, you're not interested in the things of God. You're only interested in the things of man. And then shortly after that, Jesus takes James 
Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And while he is there, he's transformed. It's an amazing thing. Peter talks about it later on in his letter. And, and they see Jesus transformed and speaking to him are Moses and Elijah. That's an interesting thing just by itself. But Luke tells us exactly what they were talking about. They were actually having a conversation. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus having a conversation. Their conversation, Luke tells us, was about his departure that he was going to make in, Jerus in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John heard about all that. They were hearing that conversation. I would have loved to hear what they were talking about, wouldn't you? <laughs> Let's go to the second time that Jesus declares this to them. And, and here we find something even more interesting. The Gospel of Mark, again, in verse 31. Gospel of Mark in verse 31. Let's read this, shall we? It says, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But look at this. But they, what? Understood not that saying. And not only that, what? Ignorance is bliss, right? If we don't know, we don't have to worry about anything. Kind of what happened there. They didn't know what he was saying. They, they couldn't understand it. It said they were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask Jesus what he was talking about. And immediately after saying that, actually in the gospel of, uh, go to the next scripture real quick, Dave. I'll put this up there too. Um, Luke, oh, this is a, look at the way Luke puts it. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered everyone at all the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears. How many ever had your mom do that to you sometime? Right? Listen to me. <laughs> let it sink into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and what? It was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying, just like we saw in Mark. Let me go to the third example here. And I think our real situation is this. What was facing these disciples, they would have been really happy knowing, hey, he's the Messiah, he's the king, he is going to deliver us from the bondage to the Roman Empire. We're going to, uh, we got some good things going here. But this suffering, picking up a cross, following him to the cross, what is that all about? And the real problem sometimes even we have in hearing what God wants us to hear. In fact, in situations that we're in, being able to see the hand of God. Because how many know in any situation, if you can see the hand of God, regardless of how difficult that situation is, in any situation, if you can see the hand of God, there's such a peace that comes inside. Can you say amen? Do you believe that? But the disciples, that was, what was keeping them from seeing the situation was the fact that there was something being asked of them. They needed to give on their part. They needed to pick up a cross they needed to follow. You know, sometimes we use that expression, oh, I'm carrying my cross, and, you know, and they're talking about their employer on their job. <laughs> they can't put up with him, you know. That's not what a cross is. How many understand that? Cross isn't a thing, a sickness. A cross is a decision that you make. That in this situation, in what I'm going through, 
in what's taking place, I'm going to follow the Lord. Can you say amen to that? That's not easy, but it makes a big difference how we see every situation that we go through in life. It's amazing. The same two people, I'm sorry, the same pe- different people can go through the same situation and come out different, right? One of the stories I like to think about is, in situations like this is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were put into a furnace of fire that was heated so hot that the men that threw them in got burned up. But when they came out, when they, when they looked inside and saw them dancing around inside, that would have been fun to see. That would have been awesome. That would have been a good Holy Ghost prayer meeting right there. They came out. One thing it says very interesting, they did not even have the smell of smoke on them. Can you say amen? They didn't smell like the fire they had been through. Have you ever been around somebody and, and after they're done telling you all the problems they've been going through, you feel like you've just been through a smoke room, right? Not only do you, do you, is it making your eyes water and making you choke, but when you walk out, people smell the smoke on you too. You go, what is this stuff? No, no, no. When we're in a situation, when we go through the situation with the Lord, we don't even have the smell of smoke on us. Does that sound good to you? There's a third time the disciples, where Jesus declares to them, and this is in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, this whole chapter, and and it's amazing. I, I I don't see the Gospels as just being written by a man named Mark and a man named Matthew and a man. I see the Gospels as being written by the Holy Ghost inspiration. How about you? And, you know, I've, I like to read the synoptic Gospels. The synoptic Gospels are the ones, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that kind of point and see the same stories from different angles, but not man's angle. The angle that was given to these men of God was from the Holy Ghost. Because isn't every word of God inspired by God, right? And... And it's unique to see that sometimes in the same chapter, the events that take place all fall together in a beautiful way. For instance, when Jesus said, How do men, who do men say that I am? It's in that same chapter he healed a blind man. Another time he's, re- he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you, you, may, you can't hear the word of God. You can't hear the living word of God when it's being spoken. You're making void the word of God because of your traditions, your, your stubborn ways of doing things, your, your legalism and the things that you're trusting in rather than in God. You can't hear the word of God. And guess what he does in that same chapter? He heals a deaf person. <laughs> Who put that together? Was that just cute, cute on the part of Mark or Luke? No, no. That was the Holy Ghost. In this same chapter, Mark chapter 10, a rich young ruler comes running to Jesus. And, and I kind of like to see this man, I kind of like to see him just running all the way to Jesus and sliding on his knees and getting down and saying, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? He was excited about getting some new information. He was excited about getting more. He wasn't talking about just getting to heaven. He wanted to inherit something also. Well, Jesus looked at him, and Mark tells us, and here in chapter 10, Mark tells us Jesus looked at him and loved him. Something that was seen there. There was a love. Jesus felt love for this man. And he said, okay, let me tell you something. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. What did the man do? He couldn't do it. He walked away. Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter, those who trust in riches, to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard, how difficult it is. It's like trying to go through the eye of a needle. 
Jesus said, camel going through the eye of a needle. And disciples, it's interesting here, it says, they said, Lord, how can this be? I like the way, I, I love the way King, I, I'm not stuck on King James. I love all the translations, but I love the way King James puts some things here. It says in Mark 10, 26, it says, and they were astonished out of measure. It's kind of like what you do with your toothpaste when you squeeze it and get that last bit out. It's like, they were astonished out of measure, beyond measure. They said, Lord, who can be saved? They realized when God calls, sometimes he expects you to give everything. Is that right? Sometimes he calls you to give everything. And, of course, <laughs> I love what Peter does next. Peter says in verse 28, what does Peter do? He goes, hey, hey Lord, over here, Lord, um, we've left everything. We've left everything and followed you. <laughs> Well, Jesus said, okay, that's good. In fact, if you've done that, there will be rewards. But remember, the first shall be last. And then he goes on in Mark 10, and he says, it says in verse, that's what I have up here on the, on the board, at verse 32, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took them. He took again the twelve. And began to tell them what things should happen to them. Next, next slide. And he said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and scourge him and spit upon him and kill him. And the third day he's going to rise again from the dead. So this is the third time Jesus has told them. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Let me show you a little. Can we show that no price too high real quick? I want to show you something about learning how to hear. Because, you know, the real problem they had was in our hearing what God has spoken. In fact, hasn't this been a question on your heart? If there's one God, one Holy, why are there so many different churches? You ever had that question? Why are there so many different, different Christian denominations some say this, and it can get really confusing, can't it? Why is that? It has to do with our ability to hear. Let me show you something here. Whoop, did you go too far? There, okay, there we go. All right. Well, I have a daughter that's going to be doing that in August. That's not what this is about, though. <laughs> okay, there was a man and a woman who got married and went on their honeymoon. There they are. Okay. Well, the man was a businessman. And he had to go away on a trip. And while he was gone, the wife did, the newlywed wife, did what a lot of women like to do. She went shopping. And she saw something on sale. And guess what? Isn't that like sales? They're only for a limited time. Oh, my goodness. You got to get it right now. If you don't, you'll lose the sale price. How many fall into that sometimes, right? You got to get it right now. Well, she's... Concerned about that because she saw something that she wanted to get. So the next one, what did she see there? There we go. Special, a, a ring, a diamond ring. Special. I guess he wasn't rich enough to give her a diamond ring for the, you know, for the wedding. So she saw one on sale now. So she's, it's only for a limited time. What am I going to do? Now, let's kind of imagine these are back in the days when they didn't have cell phones and international phone calls and Skype and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. So she had to get a communication to him. She had to send out a, a notification to him and saying, hey, there's a sale and it's only for a limited time. Husband, what should I do? What, tell me, send me back a reply as soon as you can. I want to know, can I get this ring? 
Of course, you would have had to use, let's just suppose they were only using telegrams back in the, so you had to write it fairly simple uh, in a way that he'd understand. What price is this high? This, this is the price, limited time. Can I buy it? Tell me what to do, husband. So this is what he writes to her in a telegram. You're laughing probably because, you know what, you can read that. Okay, well, there, there's a frugal husband talking. <laughs> But remember, there's no punctuation in telegrams, right? So now uh, a wife here, his wife might say, wait a minute, no price too high. The same four words can have the exact opposite meaning. Now, they're newlyweds. What should she do? She may have been a blonde and said, well, no price too high. I'm going right now. Or brunette or whatever. I just, I just had to put a, put a blonde joke in there, right? But, but the fact is, is that if she, there's a couple things that can happen here. If she's not real sure and she doesn't want to make a mistake, she might favor the, it's too costly. I'm not going to buy it. I'd rather go without than displease him. And there are some people that live like that all the rest of their life. The rest of their life, they're never really sure what pleases God, so they're afraid to do a lot of things. They're afraid to step out. They're, they, they look around and say, well, did he, is she buying it or is he going to do it? They live like that because they're not really sure what he wants. And, live in a, and in fact, that's where legalism comes from where people are, have a list of things they're, 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 they're trying to do. They're, 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 they want to make sure he's happy, but they're never really sure. And there's no end to the depths that legalism can take you in. How many understand that? Some of you may have, have a background in a legalistic church where certain things and requirements and this and that. We had a church that we were tr- people we were trying to minister into in San Francisco. They were from the, a church where they believed that you could only pray on your knees. If you prayed any other way and you didn't get down on your knees, God wouldn't hear you. That's what they taught all their members. You know, it's kind of funny. You start praying and they go down like that. And you're talking to them again. You start praying and they go back down on their knees. <laughs> no, false understanding because people are trying to please someone they don't really know. But a relationship, and this is where the new covenant far excels the old covenant. The new, old covenant was, okay, I'm gonna t- Moses says, I'm going to tell you what God said. You guys try to do it. New covenant is, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to come inside. And he's going to write upon your heart. And not just your heart, but he's going to write upon your mind. And not only is he going to inform you and give you the desire to do it, he's going to give you supernatural ability to accomplish it. And all the glory goes back to him. A new covenant's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that bride knew her husband, just like I'm sure you you know your husband back there. He said, no price. It's too expensive, right? (laughs) How many wives know that's what their husbands would say, right? It doesn't matter if it's $5, too much, too. No, 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 right? No price too high. But this is the way it is with God's word. The key is our relationship with him to be able to hear. Sometimes it does mean hearing him say, it's too high. Price is too high. But other times, getting to know his heart, it'll be amazed at the things he allows you to step out and do. Even when others are saying, hey, don't do that. You can step out and do it because I know him. Paul says, I know, I know whom whom I have believed. The 
problem these disciples were having, and I'm sure faith is part of it, but the problem they were really having was there were things as they would follow Jesus that he was requiring more from them. Mark chapter 10, just to add to the comedy of events that seemed to surround each one of these declarations that Jesus made, in Mark chapter 10, after telling them, you can go back to them, after telling them what was going to happen, it's very interesting. James and John, in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him. And if you read in the other Gospels, you'll, you'll find that they actually brought their mother. Yeah, they brought their mother to talk to Jesus. And they had a question. They said, Lord, we want you to grant us something. In fact, it says in one of the Gospels that the mother, came, mother of these, uh, James and John, they, she came worshiping Jesus. That word worship in the Greek literally means to fall down. And she must have been on her hands and knees. And it says that she was worshiping and desiring something of him. <laughs> How many know that's not what worship's all about? You don't worship because you want something. You worship because of who you're worshiping, because you know him. And she was, but says she was desiring something. And Jesus says, what wilt thou? What do you want? She says, I want you to grant that my sons, one will sit on the right hand and one will sit on the left when you come in your glory. I think Jesus had to constrain some holy laughter in that moment. This woman has no idea. These guys have no idea. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Or can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? They said, yes, we're able. <laughs> they had no idea what he was talking about. He says, okay, yeah, you will. You will be doing that. But he says, to give you those positions, that's, that belongs to my father. And immediately afterwards, it says, the other 10 disciples were all angry because all the time they kept arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Finally, if I can take you all the way to John chapter 21, and I'm going to finish here. Another experience Peter specifically had two times was fishing in a boat. The first time of his beginning encounters with Jesus, he was in the boat, and Jesus said, uh, launch out into the deep and start fishing. And Peter says, Lord, we have been fishing all night long, and we've caught nothing. But he didn't end there. He used a very important word. He said, nevertheless, at thy word. Can you repeat that with me? Nevertheless, at thy word. Let's say that again. Nevertheless, at thy word. And he did it. And of course, they got in so many fish that the net began to break. Well, here's a second experience. This is after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus has made himself known to them. A lot of things happen, beautiful experiences, things we'll be celebrating about in these coming weeks of, as Easter approaches. But they have another experience where Peter says, I go a-fishing. He took his disciples. They went out fishing. And while they're out there fishing, Jesus appears on the shore, and he says, do you have any fish? And they said, no, we have not caught anything yet. He says, cast your net over here. They did it. And they caught 153 fish, it says, and their net didn't break this time. The moment that happened, Peter says, Peter says uh-oh, a doubled experience. I'm going through this again. I've, done, I've been here. I've done that. That's the Lord over there. And he jumped out and swam ashore. But Jesus had some very important words to tell, Pete, tell Peter. And his words to Peter were, Peter, verse 15, he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Why do we want to follow Jesus? Because we love him. Can you say amen? How 
how can we love him? Because he first loved us. First loved us. He asked Peter this three times. There's a lot even in that. But interestingly, he tells Peter, he says, listen, Peter, when you were younger, you walked about where you wanted to go, you, uh, and you clothed yourself, you wore what you wanted to wear. But when you get older, you're going to be taken places where you don't want to go, and another person will clothe you. He was telling Peter, hey, you're going to be going through some difficult times here. In fact, in verse 19, it says, this spake Jesus signifying by what death Peter would glorify God by. And when he had, and when he had um, verse 19, when he had spoken this, what did Jesus say? Peter was a character, wasn't he? What does he do? Verse 20. And Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which disciple was that? John. He saw that. He saw John. He says, Lord. Verse 21. Peter sees John saith to Jesus, And Lord, what about that man? Okay, you you just gave me a hard thing here, Lord. John over there, you got something to tell him too? What did Jesus say? I love it. King James. You're not going to find this in any other translation, but King James. I mean, the words are there, but I like it. I think it kind of rhymes. Verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Can you say that with me? If you can bear with my King James. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Isn't it the problem with us also sometimes? We want, to, we want to compare that woman that saw the sail on her ring. She may have gone, maybe some woman would go ask their, 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 next door, their next door neighbors, their friends, well, what would you do in this situation? Jesus says, what is that to thee? What, what does it matter what I ask others to do? You follow me. If I tell you to get in a boat and I get in there with you and I sleep on a pillow, you follow me. I tell you to get in a boat and I'm not going to be there, don't be afraid. I'm on a mountain praying for you. But get in that boat and you will make it to the other side. Can you say amen? How many want to follow Jesus? It's a strange path. It's an unusual path. And it's a path only you can walk down by yourself. But the beauty of it is Jesus is there. Let's all stand. Today, if you haven't experienced the Lord as your Savior, if you haven't responded to his words that he said, come follow me, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You can hear that word. You can hear what he's saying. And you can say, Lord, I, I, I've been running the other direction, but Lord, today I choose to follow you. Jesus, I will be a follower. I will follow you, Lord, on purpose, not because of the person on my right or the person on my left. I will follow you, Jesus. You gave your life for me, Jesus. You died on the cross in my place. You provided for my full salvation, Jesus. You made a way, and you rose from the dead to prove it to me, to offer it to me. Jesus, I love you because you first loved me. Let's pray. Let's ask. If you're in that situation today, you can make a new decision. The rest of us also, there's things God calls us into, things and paths he takes us down. Make sure you've, uh, you've picked up the cross willingly. Afflictions and sufferings and problems and trials, those aren't the cross. The cross are things that you pick up of your own will and choose. And in the choosing, you're following 
Jesus because you love him. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you today. We thank you, Lord, for coming and showing us the way, being the way, even for us right now, Lord. Father, I know there are people here, myself included, that feel like we're in that boat, sometimes feeling as if, why are you sleeping, Lord? Other times, in that boat, not even sure where you're at. And when the answer comes walking on the water, sometimes we're afraid of it. But Lord, we want to follow you. We want to follow in your steps. We want to follow you with purpose. We want to follow you and experience you. As that hymn says, Lord, I'd rather go in the dark with God than to be in the light without him. I'd rather walk hand in hand with you, Jesus, through every fire and flood that comes than to be on my own someplace else. I want to follow you, Jesus. We want, as a church, Lord, we want to follow you. We thank you, Father, for what you've touched us with today and what you're writing upon our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.